I want to take you back several years to the final days of my first mission trip over to Africa. This is the summer of 2010. It had been a wonderful trip, but by the end of it, I was so ready to be home. Lauren was expecting our first child, Elise. In fact, she would have Elise like two or three weeks after I returned home, just a little bit early. So it was, it was time for me to get home. Wonderful trip, but I was ready to see my wife and prepare for the arrival of our first child. We get to the airport in the capital of Ghana on a Sunday evening, and we learn that our flight has been canceled. And I was so disappointed. My phone didn't work on there, so I had to borrow the African preacher's phone that I had used to call long distance. Um, I grabbed his phone, very low battery, about to die. I call Lauren's cell phone. She's in Chattanooga with her parents, and um, I get her voicemail. She is not able to answer, so I leave her a voice message that says, I am so sorry to tell you this, but my arrival back home is going to be delayed at least a day or two. I love you. I'll see you when I get back. As soon as the message is over, the phone dies, and that's my only way of getting in touch with her. She later said she was just down the hallway at her parents' house, very pregnant. Uh, When she got my message, she cried, and, you know, that broke my heart even more that she was that upset, but so ready for, you know, me to be home and to know that I was home safely, just a difficult time for everybody. So the airline puts us up Uh, for a night in a local hotel. Uh, The hotel promises that we will get a wake-up call the next morning, which we do not get. Almost miss the rerouted flight to New York, but, you know, just barely by the skin of our teeth. Make that flight. We get to New York. As soon as we land at JFK, I turn on my, I try to turn on my phone. It will not turn on. The battery has taken on water or moisture throughout the week. It is ruined So I cannot call her even then. So as soon as we get into the terminal, I find the nearest store where I can buy a phone battery. And I buy one, I don't care how much it costs, it's $87.09. And that may not sound like a lot of money to you, but in 2010, a phone battery at $87.09, it just seemed like a lot of money to me. Uh, Especially after that trip, I I was out of money. But I didn't care. I was going to pay whatever it took to get my phone working so I could call home. And finally, I'm able to slide the battery in there, call, and get to talk to her. And in just a few hours, we're back in Atlanta, and I get to see my bride and thankfully make it home in time for the birth of my first daughter. Wonderful trip, but in those final days, my mind was occupied by three simple words. Get me home. Get me home. I'm ready to be home. Can you relate to that? Have you been away for a long period of time? Maybe taking care of a sick relative? Uh, Maybe at college or away at school? Maybe just on a vacation that you planned, that you enjoyed, but by the end of it, you are ready to get back home. Can you think of a time when you longed for home? Innate in every human is, I believe, a desire for home. A longing to put down roots somewhere and stay. Yes, we love to have adventures. We love to go exploring. But I believe even more than that, we love to come home. 
And illustrations for this abound in our culture. Sometimes I have trouble thinking of ways to illustrate concepts from Scripture. This is not one of those. There are countless ways for us to illustrate this idea of home and this longing for home. I just think about these catchphrases that are embedded in our language. Home sweet home, the one on the screen. What about home is where the heart is? Make your house a home. And this one made famous by Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know it. There's no place like home. When Lauren and I were engaged back in 2006, uh, I gave her, in addition, this wasn't the only thing I gave her. I did give her an engagement ring, by the way. But I also gave her this children's book. She loves children's books. And it's called Our Nest. And I wrote in it, I can't wait until we build our nest together. Wasn't that a sweet little message? From 2006, Joseph, I love you so much. And uh, now God has blessed us with a full and very lively nest. But what I meant by that back then was I can't wait to build a home with you. We long for home. We pine for a permanent dwelling place. As Maya Angelou once wrote, the ache for home lives in all of us. There's just one problem. The problem is this thing that we call life, that we all experience. The very nature of life does not allow us to put down lasting roots. The way that life is in the here and now, life disrupts our notions of home. And our text this morning, the 90th Psalm, I would invite you to grab a Bible, just open it up to Psalm 90, just leave it open in your lap, we're going to be referring uh, to it all morning. Psalm 90 eloquently spells this reality out for us. It shows us that life often gets in the way and prevents us from making a home here. This is what Psalm 90 says about life. First of all, life is brief. The psalmist in Psalm 90 reveals this to us. Life is brief. Look at the first part of verse 10 of Psalm 90. I've got it up here on the screen as well. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. This just depicts an average lifespan. We, of course, know people who didn't live to be in their 70s or 80s. We also know people who have lived beyond uh, this general estimate. And I have read recently where a lot of scientists think that in the coming years, people will increasingly live to be past 100 because of so many advancements in modern medicine. And as you know, if you're a a student of the Bible, there were many people in the Old Testament Scriptures who lived to be much, much older than this. The oldest man recorded on the pages of the Bible was Noah's granddaddy Methuselah. And he lived, according to the Bible, for 969 years. Almost a full millennium. Can you imagine? And yet, look what the psalm says in verse 4 of of 90. Verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. So even a life as long as a thousand years. Methuselah almost made it. A life as long as 969 years to God, from God's perspective, it's like the snap of a finger. It passes just like yesterday. 
Can you think of a day that you were anticipating, you were excited about the events of a certain day, you look forward to it, making plans for it for several months, and then it just kind of comes and goes. And the next day you're like, boy, that happened fast. There was so much buildup and so much planning, and then just like that, it was over. The Bible says even a life of a thousand years is, is like yesterday to God. Life is brief. And the psalm continues with, with images that, that illustrate this for us. Look in verse, starting at verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. Talking about our lives. Think about a flash flood that comes upon us suddenly. A lot of rain, heavy amounts of rain in a short amount of time. And the waters begin to rise and debris begins to float. Water, just a little bit of water can be powerful and can move heavy objects quite quickly. The Bible says our lives pass away like a flood. Like floodwaters, they're gone. They are like a dream. That's what the Bible says life is like. You know, I have found unless I write a dream down the moment I wake up, I will not remember it. You've had this experience where you know there was something you dreamed about. It was really weird. It was strange or it was scary and you're trying to piece it together and think of all the details and yet you can't quite do it it just it just sort of dissipates when you wake up the bible says life is like that it's just so brief and you're experiencing one minute minute and then the next it's gone and then it's like grass that is renewed in the morning in the morning it flourishes and is renewed in the evening it fades and withers life is short. And what's more, life is hard. Life is not only brief, it's difficult. Look in the second part of verse 10. The first part says, we live to be 70, 80 maybe, yet the span of our years is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Life is short and it's also full of toil and trouble. I think about what Job said in Job 14.1. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Doesn't that state it memorably, succinctly? Man's life is short on days and it's long on difficulty. That's life. I hear this phrase a lot, forever home. We want to build our forever home or we're looking for our forever home or we finally found our forever home. But there's no such thing as a forever home built on the shifting sands of life here. Consider those homes in Hawaii that are being swallowed by that hot lava from that erupting volcano. And you may say, well, Joseph, last time I checked, there aren't any active volcanoes in southern middle Tennessee. But you think with me how many times you've crouched down in your bathroom or your basement in the spring waiting for a bad storm cell to pass over and hoping and praying that it doesn't spawn tornadoes that will destroy your home. And it doesn't take a natural disaster to destroy a home. What about an unexpected tragedy? A death of the breadwinner of a family and suddenly we can't pay the mortgage. And the home has to go. Or what about, what about a financial problem? You lose a job and you're no longer able to afford that home. Or what about the moral failure of a spouse? A spouse's decision to be embroiled in some sinful behavior. The marriage ends, the family's dissolved. And there goes the home. These events and more can take away, take away a home. You've seen it happen. 
Life has a way of throwing us devastating curveballs and we are never prepared for them. There are no forever homes here. Life is hard. And lastly, this psalm tells us that life is brought to an end by God's wrath. And lest you think that that's unfair, lest you think that this is unwarranted, let me remind you what the psalm reminds us of, that our sinful rebellion forces God's hand. Our sin, we don't take it as seriously as we should. It deserves punishment. And the perfect justice of God demands punishment. God being holy cannot coexist with sin. And therefore, by default, as sinners, we deserve to be be punished. Listen to what the psalmist says back in verse 3 of God. He says, God, you return man to dust, and you say, return, O children of man. That harkens back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, 19, when one of the punishments of Adam and Eve's rebellion is that just as they came from the dust of the earth, so shall they return. Which suggests that God created Adam and Eve and therefore all humanity to live forever, endlessly, everlasting life. And yet that ended when they sinned, when humanity fell. And now, from dust to dust, you came from the earth and there you shall return at the end of your life. And listen, listen to verses 7 through 9. We are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Life is brief and it's hard, it's difficult because of our sin. And so after... Reflecting on this, after seeing all this from the 90th Psalm, we might say, well, so much for establishing a home. So much for putting down roots here, a permanent, making a permanent dwelling place. It's useless. It's a waste of time in this short, strenuous life. I guess that this built-in desire that we've all been given will just go forever unsatisfied. But hold on just one minute. Because we haven't seen the whole picture. The answer to our dilemma, the solution to our problem is found in the first two verses of this psalm that we've been considering. Look there with me. Listen to what the psalmist says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we learn, thankfully, that we have a home after all. But it's not primarily a place, no. We've got to change the way we think about home. Home is not primarily a location, a place. It's a person. It's a relationship with God. Now, I know we'll have a place after Jesus returns and we are raised. But listen, heaven will only be heaven because God is there. That is what we are most looking forward to in the life to come is the experience of the presence of God. But the place matters only because of the person. And if God isn't there, then it's no longer heaven. That's why we long for our eternal home because we will be able to bask in the glory of God. 
forever. The one in whom we place our faith in the here and now. You know, Jesus understood this truth. That home was his father. He understood this at the deepest level. Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20? There's a scribe who's been following Jesus around and listening to his teaching. And the scribe said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So are you still interested in following me? Knowing that if you follow me during my earthly ministry, your life, you're always going to be traveling. It's going to be itinerant in nature. Jesus was a man always on the move. And yet he was a man always at home. Because he was always in communion with his father. Think about all the times in the gospels where we see Jesus. Departing from his followers and finding a secluded place at which to pray. He had to take away time from his busy ministry. So that he could commune with the father. And there he would spend hours in prayer. Talking to his father. He knew that his fa- with his father, that was home. That was home for him. And that gave him the strength, the endurance that he needed to make it through his ministry. I think when we understand this, we can experience three things that I want to leave you with. We can experience purpose in spite of life's brevity. Yes, life is short. Yes, it's brief. But it can still be meaningful in however many days, however many months, however many years have been allotted to us. Listen to what the psalmist says in verse 12 of 90. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Lord, give us the strength to make every day count. Help us to wake up each morning and devote it to you. Help us to not get waylaid by temptation and sin and silly distractions. Help this day be a pleasing offering to you from from dawn to dusk, from daylight to dark. Help it the whole day through be be a blessing and and be glorious to you. Teach us to number our days. Help us to make every day count. Make our lives meaningful in however much time you've given us, Lord. And look at verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our eternal God infuses this short life with meaning. And we can also experience security in spite of life's trouble. Jesus' communion with his Father did not only sustain him through his ministry, but it sustained him in the darkest hours of his life. When he was there in the garden, on the eve of his death, what was he doing? While his apostles were sleeping, he told them, watch and pray, but they fell asleep, not Jesus. He spent the whole night in prayer. Agonizing, painful prayer, but prayer. And it sustained him on the cross. Think of Jesus on the cross and the things that he spoke to God. He was still communing with his Father, even as his arms were outstretched, nailed to that coarse piece of wood. That's what sustained him, knowing that with his Father that was home. And lastly, we can experience, when we understand this truth, that our home's not a place but a person, a relationship with our God, we can experience joy in spite of life's sorrow. Look in verse 14 of 90. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Give us the ability and perspective to rejoice. And this, my friends, this is a faith that is strong enough, that is robust enough to be passed on to the next generation. There are too many young people today who inherit a faith from us that is far too attached to a location, to their home with their parents, to youth group settings at a certain local congregation, and when they leave home, they leave their faith behind. They need a faith that they can take with them wherever they go. They must come to know a God who will be with them wherever they go and to whom they should be faithful wherever they go, however far away they roam, no matter where they travel. If they have a faith like that, they'll always be at home with the Lord because they'll know their Lord is their dwelling place, their home. You know, I think about the way that we handled the psalm this morning, the way that we dove into all the difficult stuff, but we neglected to look at the first two verses. We skipped over them and came back later. I think it's very similar to a lot of people today who look right past the truth of the gospel that's right in front of their eyes, right under their noses, hiding in plain sight. I think the Bible teaches what people already know to be true at their core. They may just not have the language for it, and they don't have all the details filled out. But they know deep within them that they were made to live forever. They know that God has set eternity in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 They know that our finite lives were meant to be placed in the hands of an infinite God. And they know that we have a home. We We do have a home. And it's a relationship with the one who made us in his image. Home is not a place here. Now, is it wrong to have a home? To have a house? No. A lot of the early Christians had houses. How else would the church have been able to meet? They met in homes in the first century before they started building church buildings. But the resources that we sink into our homes, the stock that we place in them, it makes it seem like we've forgotten. These are just temporary dwelling places. Our home is not here. Our home is with our Father. It is found in the everlasting one who graciously gives us everlasting life through his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May we say to God, as Emily Dickinson recorded in a poem many years ago, where thou art, that is home. Wherever thou art, God, for me, that is home. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home, and our eternal home. Maybe today you want to make God your home by confessing faith and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Or maybe today you need to come home to God. You've wandered away, you have strayed from your faith, but now it's time to come home into the loving arms of your Father 
who loves you and only desires the best for you and wants to dwell in relationship with you forevermore. You can do that right now as we stand and sing.